Hey, it's Bill Simmons. We're not just reacting to the NBA playoffs on my podcast. We're also doing it on the Ringer NBA show and the Mismatch podcast. They are coming after some of these NBA playoff games. Check it out Monday, Wednesday, and Friday nights on the Ringer Podcast Network. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older, 18 and older in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. Hello, and welcome to the Ringer NBA show. It's The Answer. I'm Chris Ryan. I'm joined by Sirit Sohi. What's up, Sirit? Chris, who is your favorite Beatle? <laughs> um, I've always been a John guy, personally. Oh, okay. So you're you're also a walking red flag. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> we are coming to you on Friday morning from Parts Unknown. We're here to talk about game one of the NBA finals. What else could we be talking about? Sirit, last night we saw Boston win 120-108 under just a, quote, what the fuck is variance amount of threes from the Celtics? And, uh, you know, we didn't really get a chance to do like a straightforward, here's my prediction for the finals pod. Mm-hmm. So should we pretend like we always knew that the Celtics were going to tear Boston up in game one? I would say so. But I think my Warriors pick uh, and, and my subsequent now backing off of that Warriors pick could be informative. So I think that this is a good place to start, which is Boston obviously hugely impressive last night. Were they so impressive that they changed your mind? Were they so impressive and so ferocious on defense and was that fourth quarter so like wondrous that mm-hmm. you're like I have to rethink everything I thought about Golden State and this series um in a word yes yes I hate to overreact to a game one but I think that's exactly what I'm gonna be doing today maybe it's not so much of an overreaction now you had the Celtics in in six or seven right yeah I just felt like I had a bad feeling about this you know as like a Philadelphia and I had a bad feelings mm-hmm. about this but about the insurrection I about the CC Mark Jones not not the answer <laughs> but I felt like Boston was like giving me 04 Pistons fumes on defense and even though the Miami series felt like it was mucked up a little bit and even though that Milwaukee series was like a complete rock fight in a lot of ways, even uh, that was probably my favorite series of the playoffs so far. I just felt like Boston's defensive intensity and defensive prowess was at a level that maybe Golden State had not seen in the playoffs yet mm-hmm. and would have a hard time unlocking long term. And also just like the young legs in Boston just 
Al Horford accepted really, really stood out to me. So what did you see? No, I think the closest thing that the Warriors got to something as physical as, as Boston was probably Memphis, right? And I think it was like, probably Dylan Brooks. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah Dylan Brooks for, for the, the short little burst in the series where he was actually able to play. But I do think like, you know, we've been we've been calling Memphis and Boston basically just each other's mirrors for the entire regular season, right? So it actually does follow that a team that doesn't make make as many mistakes as Memphis did, that had a little bit more experience in the playoffs, and also a little bit more size too, would give the Warriors fits and then also take away some of the things that allowed the Warriors to win. Watching Boston against the Heat, and I think this is maybe a place where I didn't give the Heat enough credit for capitalizing on some of the mistakes that Boston made. I just thought that I had a number of moments watching them thinking there's no way you can do that against the Warriors. Like there's no way that Jalen Brown can can drive into four guys and there's no way that they can make these errant passes in the perimeter because the Warriors are going to punish you in transition and like essentially be able like I, I I also thought that the Warriors would be a little bit more intentional about getting out in transition in this game considering mm-hmm. how good the Celtics half court defense is and we didn't really see that either but now I'm kind of left in this place after watching this very interesting first half first first 18 minutes really of the Celtics figuring out they were in the finals like you get some you get like this Jason Tatum air ball and you get a Jalen Brown air ball and a rush shot and you get two Jalen Brown travels, which actually, now that I think about it, he, there were some Jalen Brown mistakes, but they were dead ball mistakes, which makes a huge difference. Yeah. Um, we didn't really get the interceptions, right? And we had we had the Tatum missed free throws and, and like I think on his first free throw attempts, like you could tell that the Celtics were kind of feeling the moment a little and right, tight. right yeah 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 exactly and right at that time like we've got espn ticker talking about how this is the least like the the biggest disparity in finals difference uh in experience difference of the finals yeah since, it was like uh, 120 to nothing basically <laughs> literally zero zero finals experience which is shocking since watching this game you're like how is how has al horford not been in the finals every single year uh but we'll t- <laughs> i digress they basically figured out how to play within those 18 minutes. Mm -hmm. We saw so many adjustments and we saw everyone really calm down to where now I'm like, how do the Warriors beat a version of Boston that's not going to beat themselves? I got to hang out last night and watch watch this game with Kirk Goldsberry, who I used to work with at Grantland and still works at ESPN, obviously. And Kirk and I were watching and I was like, damn, dude, like that's only four points after Steph's first quarter. And he was pretty confident that there was going to be the third quarter Warriors appearance, which there was. Mm Mm-hmm. But I just felt like both times, I mean, it looked like it was getting a little out of hand in the third quarter, but both times that Boston took the punch as well as you can take it from the Warriors. And, you know, we've had so many playoff games this postseason that just got out of hand so early. And it felt like the team, like, I even feel like that game seven, Boston Miami is a perfect example of like Boston had such a good start and Miami was just never able to claw all the way back from that or like the energy that they had to expend to get it back to level it meant that they were almost tapped out towards the end although Boston obviously nearly crashed into a mountain uh in the end of that game I just thought that like Boston took the punch the best I've seen a playoff team do against the Warriors in a long time and it kind of made me wonder you know you're talking about the level of experience disparity do you put any stock into this recent history success Boston has had albeit under a different coach albeit with different players but they're like I think Steve Kerr's like seven and nine versus the Celtics Mm -hmm. uh since he took over Golden State 
it, it, do you do you ascribe any relevance to that statistic or to that that factoid, or do you think it's just like these teams rarely play one another and they happen to match up well together? No, I definitely think there's something to it, especially when you look at like that last regular season game that they played that Boston won. I think it kind of just goes back to all the things that we know that Golden State struggles with. They struggle with physicality, with size. Um, Boston has not just one six eight scorer who can barrel into anybody they have two you know in 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 times through that through that stretch they've had Al Horford and they've always had Marcus Smart who despite game one his game one performance has been one of the more reliable guys to have uh have defend Steph Curry so they've always had some of the ingredients but I also think there's an element too where I think it just speaks to how talented Boston has been this entire time while also being inconsistent like I I think if we went back you would find a lot of games that were probably on ESPN where, you know, the Celtics were having like a 500 season, but like they decided to get up for the Warriors, yeah. right? National TV, Boston. Right, exactly. I thought it was pretty interesting watching this game last night and seeing these different tendencies maybe come out possibly from the coaches, I think, you know, in terms of the conservative element of Steve Kerr or maybe probably the possibly the sentimental part of Steve Kerr playing Iguodala extensively in the fourth quarter or in the second half at least and then this sort of radical things that Udoka was trying like especially uh, almost like benching smart in the fourth quarter uh for Pritchard and it letting Pritchard stay out there and play with Derek White and throwing this like kind of undersized guard combo I know Bill and Bob talked about this on Bill's pod but like that was obviously for me the turning point of the game was this strange bench mob clash that happened in the beginning of the fourth quarter and the whole time I think everybody is just looking at their watches or looking at the clock on on the game and being like are you gonna bring Steph back in or what this is the finals this isn't like a February Wednesday game right maybe that's another reason where it felt like a regular season game to me I was texting you during the game and I was like yo what is it about this game that just doesn't feel like the NBA finals now that could have been the first quarter threes that Steph got. That could have been any number of things. But I think that's probably part of it. Like, Kerr's rotations were definitely interesting <laughs> throughout this game. The Iguodala-Draymond minutes together were kind of a disaster. And I also think that the Jordan Poole, Otto Porter, Iguodala, Draymond, I don't even remember who all was out on the court anymore, but it was basically Jordan Poole, Otto Porter and a lot of guys who just don't shoot the ball out out there with him, which was just not really a good lineup. It was weird because sometimes these configurations actually do work out well for the Warriors, which is why I never I never like to do too much Monday morning quarterbacking with Kerr. I think he gets a little too much of it. But I also think that especially in the finals, like some of these lineups that you're going to play, you have to balance out your shooting with like your kind of fun playmaking guys. Like that's kind of what's always allowed the Warriors to be the team that they are and allowed guys like Iguodala and Draymond to thrive. And it just didn't have that balance this time around. I th- it was almost like you know, after, after the game, I think somebody on press row was like, well, you played Iguodala big minutes and Iguodala only, and he said, well, I don't know if he played big minutes. I mean, it went from zero to 12. They were 12 big minutes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I was, I was was noting, I I didn't think necessarily that he was going to throw Kaminga and Moody out there. I was wondering if Peyton would get out there just because, I mean, he was, he was available and he does serve like an incredible purpose for them defensively. And I thought maybe on some of those Boston runs, he would have been like a a good guy to have out there. I think yeah. maybe Kerr just wanted to get the Iguodala experience over with early in the series to see what he had in the tank. And I think it was like really mixed results. It felt like he made a couple of things happen out there, but also gave the ball away a couple of times. I thought the bigger problem was just who he played with yeah. more than anything else. Yeah. 
Um, and I do think we need to see more Peyton. Uh, the Warriors just didn't really get anything in transition this game, which was which was a big problem. I think the biggest stuff that came for them was in the third quarter where they had that huge run. But aside from that, like they got 10% of their points in the fast break. And that's actually been pretty consistent with them throughout the playoffs without Peyton. Um, so I think just getting him back in there, get that number back up to like, I think it's around that 13, 14% range when, when he's on the floor, um, especially when he shares the floor with Iguodala. Like if you want to play Iguodala, I think maybe that's a better configuration. Like those two guys getting their hands in the passing lanes and maybe Jalen, Jalen Brown is coughing it up again. Right? right. Like that's, that could, that could be the thing that turns the series a little bit for them. What do you think is a bigger deal? The probably not very likely to reoccur Al Horford, Marcus Smart, Derek White, all lighting it up from three on the same mm-hmm. night. Or Jason Tatum mirroring no shooting Kobe. That's that's what the Mamba <laughs> armband was about. Was that he was going to take on the Phoenix Suns Game Seven? <laughs> yeah, Phoenix Suns Game Seven Kobe. No, I mean Jason Tatum, but he became like a remarkably effective playmaker, which is something Boston often really needs is somebody to kind of orchestrate offense. And he was mm-hmm. he was like splitting doubles and he was passing out of doubles and he was doing like a really good job like keeping that offense afloat even if he wasn't scoring. After the game, a, a couple of Warriors, or at least specifically Draymond, was like, well, I'm okay with, with losing a game with Horford, White, and Smart shooting the way they did. Like, let's see if they can do that again. But it's like, okay, but are you going to you gonna get a, a 20 more points from Tatum game, though? And it, what happens then? So I think if they don't switch up their coverages at all, I mean, Tatum's going to have a better night. There's no question about that. Like, you can take out that early air ball. You can take out some of... I think they got him out of rhythm by the end of the game. Like, there were a couple of drives where it felt like he was, like, going to go to the rim, then he decided to pass out, or vice versa, that I think he would probably like to have back, that, you know, he probably will adjust. But aside from that, I think if you do stick to the same coverage... Tatum's not going to have a high-scoring series, and he's going to have to be this playmaker. I think that's sustainable. I think we've seen him make that improvement pretty much throughout the regular season, throughout the playoffs, and 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 have probably one of his most impressive playmaking games, if not his most impressive playmaking games um, in, in ever. And that like that was a that was a second half adjustment. I think uh, it, it was in the post game press conference where you know Ime talked to him and and uh, had like the coaching staff talk to him and you know look over some of the plays that he was making and hit those corners after like they they busted the Warriors zone uh, pretty easily because of his playmaking. Uh, hit the corner three. They hit. They had eight corner threes. That's usually like. I mean, they hit. They hit a lot of them. Like they yeah. had. They got twelve. They got twelve attempts, which is right like around where they are in the playoffs when they win games, and they get far less when they lose. So that to me is sustainable, right? Like the the plays that Tatum is making is sustainable. The other one, it's just tough because, look, like uh, if it was a regular season, Draymond's right, right? Mm-hmm. But we're now going into like. Derek White has just decided to become this guy now, right? Like this is like this is a carryover from the Heat series. This is not yeah. an outlier game. Obviously, regression is going to hit at some point, but like it kind of just reminds me of that quote of like, yeah, in the long run this will change, but in the ro- long run we're all dead. So like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> doesn't matter. Yeah. You already lost one game, and now you have a m- must win game too. Boston just needs to have this happen for three more games, right? right? Exactly, <laughs> exactly, and they can do that. We've seen them do that. Like that's how they won the Heat series. They had a couple games, like in in the Buck series too. I think that's why they've had like their, the variance has been crazy, and we should probably expect that for for this series too, considering how many threes the Warriors get up. And that's another part of this too. The Warriors hit nine threes like we can talk all day about the Celtics hitting 21 threes it's the Warriors match them yeah the Warriors match them and I also think that they kind of played into in, into into Boston's hands 
The NBA Finals are here, and so is your chance to score big on FanDuel Sportsbook throughout the NBA Finals. FanDuel is giving new customers $200 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Bet the money line, point spreads, player props, and so much more. Plus, you can combine your bets for an even bigger payday with Same Game Parlay. You know I had to give it to you, the Same Game Parlay for Game 2. Look, I thought that there was a lot more offense in Game 1 than I thought that there was going to be, especially coming from Boston, who was victorious, scoring 120 points. But I'm going to take the under on total points. It's under 216. I'm also going to have three Al Horford made threes, but I do think Golden State is going to cover that minus four and win Game 2. So if you put all that together, that's plus 1196, 1196. That's pretty cool. I think that's a fun little bet. Just sign up with promo code RINGERNBA. If you haven't tried FanDuel, now is the perfect time to give it a shot because the only thing sweeter than watching the NBA Finals is cashing in on all the action. Join today with promo code RINGERNBA and turn a $5 bet into $200 in free bets, win or lose. Make every game feel like Game 7 with FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel, official partner of the NBA 21 and older in select states, first online real money wager of at least $5. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable free bets that expire 14 days after receipt. See full terms at fanduel.com slash sportsbook gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, and Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text Hope NY 467-369 in New York. Tennessee red line is 1-800-889-9789 or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia. Do you want to talk about the, the Celtics defensive game plan? I can't tell you. Like this, this is very like troubling for me, but like watching them basically bleed the Warriors out for 23 seconds and then seeing the Warriors just be like, all right, I guess this is just like auto. There was one or two Draymond threes that wound up just being like, the like the Boston seemed mm-hmm. to start the defensive possession by being like, this is going to end with a Draymond three, just so mm-hmm. you guys know. And that's what happened. <laughs> or this is going to end with just like an awkward, somebody's baseline and now has to hit a guy in the corner. It's like a broken hammer play or whatever mm-hmm. it was, but it was just basically like these completely shattered glass plays Because Boston makes you take the worst possible shot that you have. I'm so used to watching defenses where they can kind of like focus in for a possession or two at a time. But to have that kind of sustained intensity and sustained, they get so many stops. It just feels like Mm -hmm. it was so unrelenting that I was like, this might be the, the number one quality of any team in this series. Boston's defense might just be so good. And I know that they're 1-2 in defensive rating for this season. I'm not saying the Warriors aren't good at defense, but I don't feel like they're that good at defense. No, I think think that the gap between 1 and 2 is pretty strong between them, especially when you consider that Boston's stats are also brought down by that first few months of the season. Like The the Warriors' defense has been a lot more slippery than I think their numbers indicate, too. They've had a lot of nights where they just haven't haven't had it, and they just, like, they're not really matching Boston's physicality. Like, it's funny, there was this play... That happened like right when the cameras were were on Steve Kerr in the timeout, and he's talking about, hey, like we're not really playing with enough physicality. They made a run, but 
we just got to get a, a stop and a score and we'll be in great shape. And right as that happens, Al Horford, he intercepts a pass yes. right in front of his face, which doesn't really happen to Draymond very often, which actually would have turned into, I think it was going to be a Kavon Looney dunk. Like there was somebody slipping on the weak side. And if Horford didn't intercept it, yeah, like there's a very good chance that it does go exactly that way. And we're, and we're looking at a very different result. Like I thought that was a very key play because then they go down. I love watching Horford dribble in transition <laughs> I, I think i just love everything about al horford after today it's his birthday happy birthday i think you know it's got it got to be a good one today it's hard to remember a late period renaissance like this it's incredible all, all you have to do is go to oklahoma city for for a few months not play basketball and get a like and just get like a new lease on life it's like it's like the chris paul thing all over again we were looking at his contract and we're like yo like that back end is going to be really bad. And then he goes yeah. to Phoenix and gets extended. Because right now, what I'm thinking is like, what's Al Horford getting paid next? <laughs> you know? But no, go, like their defense, just like it, yeah, it put it put the it put the clamps on, and they got running in in transition, and they hit all these threes. And I'm just really impressed with the adjustments. Like first of all, like you have this game plan, which. I think the Celtics were kind of confused by what they were supposed to execute because, like, there's no way in the yes, world. <laughs> they were dropping on Steph, right. So, um, before the game, Marcus Smart said something along the lines of, like, they want to make sure that they keep the Warriors out of the paint um, because, like, they know, obviously, everybody knows they shoot a lot of threes. Curry's talked about this, too. I think the threes, as, as much as they are, like, that's what the Warriors do, they want to get looks at the rim before yes. they get threes like they, they want, want to leverage those threes yeah. and you know have it turn into like a Kavon Looney slip or like a Draymond short roll and hit somebody else for a lob or, or whatever it is or like or Clay Thompson like seems like he's gonna you know use a floppy and then he just cuts back door and he has a layup like they way prefer those to actually getting the three-pointer they know that the threat of the three-pointer is what allows them to get those easy buckets and I think the Celtics game plan was to try to prevent those easy buckets First quarter, that didn't work either way. Like, they were giving up a lot in the paint. And a lot on the perimeter. And a lot yeah. on the perimeter, right? Um, but I went back and kind of looked at the things that they, like, the moments where they seemed the most confused. Um, obviously, there was, like, the Steph coverage and the drops, uh, especially with Robert Williams. But there were also moments, like, I think there was a Derek White, Marcus Smart switch where there was a slip, and they both went to the slip and that's how uh Steph got another three yeah and that kind of got me thinking like okay they're they just kind of overcommitted to their coverage a little bit and then I th I think they readjusted in the second half they switched way more in the second half Williams came up on those drops and Williams really did guard Steph I mean considering the fact that he's dragging one leg around there pretty obviously like he's really mm -hmm. spry when it's he's on one end of the floor or another and he had a couple of really good transition plays too but I thought, yeah. like, when he was just coming up in a normal Boston's getting into their half-court set, Williams was often lagging a little bit. Like, his leg was dragging a little bit, which is problematic because Tatum was usually also lagging because he was still complaining to the refs. Like, just, <laughs> like, I think that it's like Tatum's obviously having a really good postseason, and he is not the only dude who spends sure. way too much time bitching at refs. But they're going to get, like in a two-point game or something like he needs to like get out of his feelings for sure and get yeah. back up up the floor because there's almost guaranteed if he takes a shot and it doesn't go in he throws both arms mm -hmm. up and he spends like two three seconds looking at the ref and it's like that is gonna that's gonna really cost them yeah especially against the Warriors also shout out Grant Williams picked up his first foul didn't say a damn thing I don't think yeah. I've ever seen that 
I don't think I've ever seen Grant Williams not talk to a referee. Did you see the one where Draymond tried to get Kerr to challenge in the fourth quarter? Yeah, and Jama, <laughs> that's the Warriors. Uh, yeah, the Warriors player development coach Jama Malela, who was uh, in the ra- with the Raptors before, and he just like does like the no, he did thumbs the down. Jo- <laughs> it's thumbs down. I thought thumbs I thought he did like the, the Jonah Hill like throw. Oh, I money! Guess, like, <laughs> yeah. No, it was it was definitely like like a uh, gladiator. It was just like no thumbs down, and I was like, this is harsh, brother. Like that's like because I think that. The get me the challenge is becoming a little like and one ish. Yeah, it's like it's like do you say no? And I suppose Kerr had not didn't have a ton to lose by challenging, but he was just like, was that? It's like he had a shirt. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. it, I think everybody was like, yeah, you grabbed a shirt, and and that dude was just like thumbs down. I thought that was an incredible moment. <laughs> that was awesome. Also, like, really, like, so they do they? I don't know how this works. Like, do they see the play that quickly um, on their iPads? I think that they now have like basically a staff watching video feeds constantly now behind them to give them like real time analysis, but also to to check those calls and stuff like that. That used to not be allowed back when we were kids. Just Larry Brown doing the eye test, you know. Even just a few years ago, I remember the Raptors used to like have these guys running back and forth between the locker room and uh and and like the and the bench because they weren't allowed to actually do it in the locker room anyway yeah yeah the VHS days my favorite thing is in uh is in soccer when a manager gets like sent off from the touchline because he's being too aggressive and he goes up into like the stand somewhere and then he's like talking on his bluetooth and has like, you know, he's basically like walkie talkieing to the coaches mm-hmm. down on the field. I wish maybe like Steve Kerr should try a power move like that. Go up to like Lakeup's box and, and just like Bluetooth down, AirPods it. Yeah. Next time he gets ejected. I feel like a coaching ejection could happen in the series. By the time game five rolls around. Yes. I, I didn't think anybody was going to get maybe ejected. Maybe game four, actually. I would want it. Like I, I would see that happening on the road, actually. Yeah. Maybe a game four, a big loss. Like Warriors tie it up and Golden State go back. Maybe they win game three, but get blown out in game four. Right. And- the reps like just, just like, aren't giving them anything. Yeah. <laughs> I want out of this town. Let's talk a little bit more emotionally about these teams or at least like their personalities, because I think that you and I were both kind of like confused as to what we were supposed to feel about these teams. I don't necessarily yeah. think everybody goes into sporting events needing a rooting interest or having their their like heart be in it. Like yeah. I, I kind of like find myself always slipping into like a fist pump here or there. I wouldn't say that I was like cheering for Boston last night. I would never do that, but I was deeply amused and kind of like intrigued by what happened. Like I was kind of like, I'm glad this is happening. This is going to be a really fun series. There's no way Golden State's just going to get walked on. So we're going to get like a nice, long, competitive, interesting series. Did you find yourself kind of like enamored with Boston at all at all, or, or, or what? Yeah, so I went into the series knowing I would be confused. I kind of always root for the Warriors, uh, especially in the playoffs. But there's things about this Boston team that I just love. And then, like, you get in, once we started getting into fourth quarter Al Horford, I think I was converted. I really want it for this guy. Like, I really, really want it for him. And I think he really, really wants it for himself. Bill and Hall, Hall Bob actually talked about this in the podcast, too. Um, about is Al Horford really, uh, you know, is he better than Draymond Green? I'm not really quite ready to go there, but I think in the spirit of that discussion, it is absolutely shocking to me that this is his first NBA Finals. Like this, he's just kind of a guy that should be here every single time. I have a more specific question for you then. Is Al Horford better than Draymond Green since he started his podcast? (laughs) I mean, I like, look, (laughs) (laughs) Draymond's numbers uh, in the the post podcast era are just. It's a good question, isn't it? It's It's a very good question. 
It's a great question. It happens to all of us. I would say that I'm not as good of a player since I started podcasting, you know? See, I think it's actually up my game a little bit. I got to think about things a little bit more now. <laughs> That's I think it's like, I, I mean, just if you brought an alien down to earth and we're like, watch these two guys play mm-hmm. in this postseason, who's better? I think you would definitely yeah. say Al Horford. Yeah, in this postseason, yes. Uh, who did Kirk say was a... Uh, was the most Spursian. He wouldn't budge on that. He's very closed off about Spurs Spurs lore. I mean, obviously, like both teams have Spurs mm-hmm. lineage and pop tree lineage. I thought that was an interesting question. You asked me this last night when we were watching the game and you were like, these two teams both have such Spurs. He's like, Al Horford is a Spur. Yeah. Derek White was a Spur. Tatum was the Spur that was promised. Like he was the Spur that they always needed, probably. Mm-hmm. He was Kawhi. Yeah. Jalen Brown, I could definitely see being a Spur. For sure. Absolutely. Like off the court too. Just yeah. po- political involvement. Just being sure. generally a very smart guy. Yeah. Probably loves drinking wine. I think like all these guys probably drink wine, right? And like exclusively. I think Peyton Pritchard likes like IPAs. No, that, that <laughs> checks out. That checks out. <laughs> but like seriously, like with with the with the emotional engagement with this with this series, like I guess the question was really more like as Boston climbed back into it mm-hmm. and as it was like this is happening and then they go up in the fourth. Did you find your heart racing strictly for Al or did you just be, were you like this Boston team despite myself is pretty fun to watch? Well, I don't, I don't share the same sort of like hatred and history with Boston. I actually, I quite like them. So that wasn't, that didn't really figure into it too much. But I think for me, I was just shell shocked watching the Warriors. Like that was probably outside of really feeling it for Horford. That was probably the strongest emotion I had. Because it's kind of rare to watch them have a game where this wasn't a high turnover game for them, where they just didn't really beat themselves. Yeah. yeah. I guess. Like, it was it was very weird to watch a team just kind of consistently execute their offense against them. And I think, like, that five-out, they, fi- they found something with that five-out lineup, not playing Will- Williams and Horford together, then having Horford at the five just shooting all these threes. Um, I don't think the Warriors were necessarily prepared for that. I think they wanted to pack the paint a little bit and they really punished him on that. So that becomes kind of a decision that you have to make. It kind of goes back to what Draymond said. Yeah, that was probably the biggest thing. What about you? The idea of Boston not beating themselves is interesting because like since January, I just consider them kind of workmanlike in the way that they've moved through their season. And even in challenging moments in the postseason, I feel like they've never really gotten, they've never really gone on tilt. Like they've had games where it's been like, wow, the Marcus Smart experience is now playing at Woodstock. Like, we are definitely, like, <laughs> in the throes of madness right now. I kind of wondered whether or not there was a little bit of that's why he wasn't put out there in the fourth quarter. Like, they were riding Pritchard for a little mm-hmm. while. Like, maybe Udoka was like, A, this is working with Pritchard and White, but B, let's, like, bring Marcus back with, like, five minutes left rather than eight. Or I don't even know what the base mm-hmm. substitution pattern would have been for him, but it definitely seemed like they were holding him back out on the on the bench and letting that that backcourt go for a little while longer that it was almost like this is like fire insurance against Marcus coming in with a can of gasoline yeah I also think that there's just something you can take advantage of with the Warriors the way that they play is that they're not going to see a guy like Peyton Pritchard out on the floor and change their entire game plan so that kind of gives Boston the advantage of being able to play him and if I was Steve Kerr I would I would ruminate very deeply on that because you've got Steph and Clay on that roster Especially Clay, I think they could they could get Clay going in isolation they? in some of those situations. Yes, yes, he's back. He's back. He also had a pretty good game yesterday too. Is he? Look, I I, I think talk of his demise is just getting a little bit dramatic. Like, I'm yeah. not trying to denigrate yeah. him. I'm just wondering. I for one thing, 
it feels like he's a little bit of a black hole when it comes to giving the ball up when yeah. he gets it. But he's always been that way. He's always been that way. But I guess I maybe it felt different before the injuries. But second of all, it just feels like the possibility of him getting to the rim is zero. Mm-hmm. So whether or not that means like his game feels like it has less dimensions or he's a little bit more of a like a, a niche player now, I don't know. But it definitely felt like Look, Pool sucked mm-hmm. last night. I mean, Pool just got overwhelmed. But I, I wonder whether or not having a more dynamic player out there in the perimeter would mm-hmm. help. You know, like I mean, I, I, I think he's gonna ride or die with Clay, Draymond, and Steph this time. But I do wonder whether or not like there is like an element to letting Pool like be like a, a primary like getting like primary threat at get, of getting to the rim. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Obviously, just like Poole is much better at getting to the rim than Clay is. But Clay only had 14 shots yesterday. Yeah. And it's not like he had a, like, he didn't have too bad of a game. No, he didn't throw the game away or anything like that. No. I mean, he had a couple of mysteries that you kind of usually expect him to make. And I think that's maybe something we ought to get used to as part of the Clay Thompson experience right now. He had a reverse that almost went in against uh, Robert Williams that felt like old Clay, at least in terms of the drive. And, I thought he had a great first half defensively against Jalen. Now, obviously, that that switched, and I think like that also had to do, I think, with the Celtics switching their game plan a little bit as well. Like, I I think he's almost there. I mean, he's not all the way there, but he's almost there, and maybe that's something that flips next season, mm-hmm. right? But I'd say like, yeah, get him going a little bit more. One thing that was really really interesting to me was like the Draymond lack of dribble yeah. handoffs. Um, like the amount that those turned into layups. Um, I'm never that comfortable with Draymond shooting like. You know, anything like past six, like when he's like, when he's got like four dribbles in him, I'm like, oh, I don't know, right? Like, I prefer that to go to somebody else. But there was this play in the third quarter where he faked the handoff with Clay and Jalen was, Jalen was on Clay, but I think he could have gotten that one through. And then I think he wanted to go to Curry and and Tatum is just like, no, you are not getting this ball to Steph Curry. And I think the, the, the technique of just not guarding Draymond at all and then relying on your ball denial to not to to have those to have that not funnel to to Curry and Clay the way that the Warriors usually do to punish teams for not guarding Dre is a pretty interesting strategy. And I'll be curious to see how it works for, for for the rest of the series. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. 
Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Any other notes from this game? I mean, I don't know if you wanted to talk more about the coaches. I think we talked a little bit about Steve Kerr galaxy braining some of those lineups with mm-hmm. Iggy. We talked about Ime going with Pritchard. I thought that his defensive adjustments or maybe the players' defensive adjustments, like we said, were really notable. But what, what do you think? What, what's what's the game two look like? The last thing on, on Ime, I'll say, is like... So Jackie Mack had this great feature on him that dropped a couple days ago. And Chris Haynes today reported that going into the fourth, fourth quarter, Ime basically told the team that they were playing like a bunch of punks. And like, is this really how you want to go out? And just... Reading that feature and seeing that and just watching him all year, I just feel like the Celtics turnaround is like brought to you by immigrant slash first generation values. <laughs> like we're just going to be ruthlessly honest. I'm not going to care about your feelings because the facts are the facts and why would we lie about them? And like, don't take it personally, even if you do take it personally. And we get like, I personally don't get why you take it personally. So we're just going to keep doing things the way that we're doing them. And hopefully you get with the program. Like, I'm not personally a huge fan of this approach as somebody who's experienced it for my entire life. But at the same time, like as I get older and I just get over it, I'm like, I'm kind of down for this to win the NBA finals. <laughs> you know? Yeah, maybe not as like a, a family planning technique. Sure, but... <laughs> like when I was 17, I would have hated him. Now I'm like, you know what? I get it. I get it. <laughs> and maybe these guys have been together just long enough to receive that message. Sure. You know what I mean? Like maybe there was a little bit of an error in January where I wonder if the message was like, if this doesn't work, it's not me who's going. Right. You know, and it we, we've kind of like invested in this idea of Jalen, Jason and Marcus being this core. Yeah. We got Horford in. They make this trade for Derek White. They were already winning when they traded for Derek mm-hmm. White. But then it was like uh, it, it, it obviously was a really good pickup in terms of like giving them a, a, a really meaningful sense of mm-hmm. depth that a guy who is able to play with the starters or a second unit. But like, I wonder whether or not there was essentially like a tacit understanding that it's like it's not Ime who's getting fired in his first season as coach of the Celtics. It's probably one of us that's getting traded. I think that's what it was. Like, wasn't there a moment where it was that was kind of communicated to the locker room? Like, oh, you don't like this guy? Cool. I mean, they, there was so many players only meetings right. and meet, closed door meetings that who knows what was discussed. It could have been book club for all I know. But like, and if it was book club, I would love to know what books mm-hmm. they were reading because they they definitely like changed their season. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe like some growth mindset books or something like that. Or maybe just like some Cormac McCarthy. They were like, this is how we have to play. <laughs> there was a road let's, as let's a metaphor the for the season. <laughs> yeah. Since we didn't get to do a game one prediction, do you want to do a game two prediction? Yeah, sure. Um, I think the Warriors will win. I think they'll win. I think, I think they'll adjust some things. Like we might see Gary Payton come out of the box. I think they'll be more aggressive in transition. And I think they'll be more intentional about getting points in the paint. They only had like 24% of their points came from the paint which it's just like that's not what they like i think the dallas series are around like the 40 percent mark in most games i'd love to see wiggins get in the paint more yeah i think he had like he a, had a couple uh poster attempts like i think he's a little little like high on the fumes of that dunk on Doncic, and i think i wonder whether or not he's like 
every time I get some daylight, I'm going for like a dunk from yeah. the free throw line. But I would love to see some more bread and butter, boring post stuff from him because I think he could be really effective. You know, it's actually funny because like now I'm thinking like what would the worst like long term outcome that would be a short term gain would be like an Andrew Wiggins game winning three. <laughs> Because then you would just know what would happen for like the next four games after that. He's never driving again. <laughs> I will go also with a Warriors win. I do think it's going to be a little bit more of a defensive affair, though. I think it's yeah. the, the, I think one twenty is going to be a real outlier score. Yeah, we didn't get like the number one defense playing the number two defense game yes. this time around. We got like the two best three point shooting teams playing each other game. So I think yeah, that'll be that'll be different. Probably maybe tighter, tighter rotations, perhaps. Yeah. Well, I mean, or, or I wonder whether or not there's a, if I wonder how quickly Kerr is like, well, that didn't work. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. if he's like, okay, so now let's try Kaminga in the third quarter or something like, or mm-hmm. whoever. Like, I wonder if he's going to rotate the minutes that Iggy got. Will they go to Payton? Will they go to Kaminga? Will you see a Moody cameo? Like, are you going to get any different kinds of guys? And whether or not Grant Williams loses like some time out there because Pritchard was obviously a pretty mm-hmm. effective player in the second half yeah yeah absolutely well it'll be it'll be interesting it, it, it better be it's the NBA finals I mean it was like it just hasn't been a requisite thing for like most of the playoffs for the games to be interesting so fingers crossed I will say though this is like a pre-interleague play world series for me like I, I do feel like this is a legit you never get to see these teams teams really play and with with when Cleveland and Golden State were locked up together it felt like they were always playing you know, they would mm-hmm. play these epic series in the finals. They would usually play like on Christmas or something like that. It felt like they were always bound to be playing one another. There's a little bit of like, I can't believe the Warriors and the Celtics are in the finals, even though there are a lot of statistical indicators that say like they should be. But I I, I am kind of like thrilled by like the newness of this matchup. Me too. There's a lot of novelty. There's a no- yes. lot of novelty. Like there's these moments. There's a lot. There were a lot of feel out moments in this game, right? You have early... Kavon Looney getting challenged by Jalen Brown and, and Jason Tatum and KOC had a great stat that in the second half that only happened seven times yeah so they don't really know each other either and that is that will probably be the most exciting thing about this series is both these teams are like excellent readers of film and of each other's tendencies like you've got Marcus Smart and Al Horford and and, and Draymond Green and Iguodala and like both coaching staffs that are gonna they're by like by the game by game six of this series, I think both sides are gonna have figured out each other in ways that are gonna be pretty fascinating. Yeah, I, I could also see them getting overly familiar with one another and getting kind of chippy out there between Smart and Williams and Draymond and those guys. I'm here for that. Yeah, me too. I'm here for that. We were produced today by Chris Sutton. Thank you, sir. I'll talk to you next week. Enjoy the finals. Until then.